Just kidding. Howdy, Tonzillions. Welcome to another episode of Escaping the Cave. EscapingTheCave.com. Fuck Twitter. No Facebook page. Hello there. Happy Saturday. It's really early. Sun's just starting to... Start to try to rise, anyway. Saturday, March 28th, 2020. I'm your friendly, congenial host, Todd. Thank you ever so much for clicking in. Uploads, downloads. Uploads are up, I guess, <laughs> as compared to a couple of months ago. Downloads, however, have far eclipsed my 2019 high watermark for March. Thank you very, very much for all the love, morbid curiosity, whatever it is. Appreciate your patronage. Not really patronage. I'm not getting paid. It's an ad-free podcast. No financial incentive at all. My virtue signaling here. Possibly. Make sure you check the feeds. If you are subscribed, make sure you're subscribed to an Escaping the Cave feed. One that actually says Escaping the Cave. I don't want to lose you at some point. Something could happen at some point in time. You never know. I value my listeners. I value my subscribers. If you are subscribed, if you want to keep getting these, make sure you're subscribed to my specific feed. Go to escapingthecave.com. I have a little page. By the way, if you do go to the website, I should point this out. I have an old website. I use Blogger <laughs> for my website, if that tells you anything. Not a real, you know, extravagant thing. But they have this thing. And most people get their, um, they do their surfing on their phones now. And there's a difference between what you see on your phone and what you see on a computer screen. And everything that I did with this website, I did on a computer. It's a vastly different experience if you log on to that website via computer. So, consider doing that. I do have a page set up with all these subscription links at escapingthecave.com. If you need a little help down that line, I, I guess. I can't imagine. This day and age, people don't need or don't understand how to get a, uh, you know, how to find a podcast through a podcatcher. But, hey, who am I to judge? All right, we're going to get this one going. I have a complaint. I have a bone to pick. And I'm going to name names here. I'm really getting sick and tired of podcasters who are either giving outdated or misleading information. They're really, really starting to piss me off. And like I said, I'm going to name names here. Looking at you, me. So I got done with the podcast on Wednesday. I did it a little differently, and it came back to bite me. I recorded that in a couple of different sittings. I sat down overnight, Tuesday night, recorded a bunch of it, the vast majority of it. I sat down and recorded, and I used specific information, speculative information as well. And I sat down and recorded the rest of it later on that day, took it, put it together, and uploaded it. And as soon as I got done uploading, I'd mentioned that the stock futures looked good, looked up, for Wednesday. <laughs> yeah, you think? Something like 2,000 points? I didn't get that in there, and I should have. If I was going to mention the stocks, if I was going to mention the stock market, I probably should have looked at updated data and you know put forth the trouble to correct it. And I didn't. I was like, eh, how bad can it be? Well, only the biggest points gain in history. Was that Wednesday? I hope I've got that right. I think it was. And then I do this nice little piece, nice little rant. I tend to rant. I tend to get emotional sometimes. 
deal in hyperbole here and there. Speculation. I'm, well, I got some speculation from some other places that said that Donald Trump was probably going to be, he was silencing Dr. Fauci, the coronavirus expert, the one sane voice on his task force. Well, I was like, oh, Trump's going to get rid of him. Sounds like he's getting rid of him. Where's Dr. Fauci, I asked. <laughs> well, I uploaded the podcast, and this is not, I'm not being hyperbolic here. I uploaded the podcast, did all the stuff that goes along with it, wrote the show notes, uploaded it, sent it off into the ether, <laughs> into cyberspace. I walk out of the studio, TV's on, guess who's on television? Dr. Fauci. I just put my head in my hands. I'm like, okay. <sighs> I'm going to play less the part of the newsman moving forward. My chops, I've, I've done news, I've done radio news before, pretty good at it. But my chops, after these years have passed, are dull, <laughs> to say the least. And honestly, a podcast, and I'm saying this with all seriousness here, a podcast is the last place, my friends, that you should be getting time sensitive current events or, God forbid, public health information. You know, this medium feels like radio. It feels like where I'm on the air right now live with you, if I'm doing my job anyway. This isn't radio. This isn't live. I'm recording this right now at 6.20 in the morning on Saturday, March 28th, 2020. It's 6.20 in the morning on Saturday. When did you download this? When are you listening to it? I don't think a lot of podcasters take that into account. They feel like as soon as they upload it, by God, all their loyal fans are going to be downloading it immediately and listening to it promptly. It doesn't work that way. Many of my listeners only download these things a few days after I upload them. It happens a lot. It's sort of a slow burn with my downloads. Not everybody's sitting on the edge of their seat, you know, anxiously awaiting another Tazilla dispatch. And I think a lot of podcasters think that's what happens. That as soon as you upload it, as soon as it's sent off to the, the hosting site, that people are on the other end, maybe they see the downloads, whatever, and they think that everybody's listening immediately. It doesn't work that way. I, I think I needed to have that reminder earlier this week. So do not treat this like, you know, your local news. This medium is not about immediacy. I'm going to apologize for that info fart that I put out there on Wednesday and stick to what I can definitively say, or at least uh, as far as hardcore, attributable, solid facts go. I'm going to try to stick more to that and leave the speculation and all that other stuff. The more abstract stuff, the political stuff, the political spin, well, I don't know if I'll do that. (laughs) But I'm going to at least try to cut back on uh, stuff that could be confused as immediately pertinent information. Does that make sense? It's early. Yeah, it's worth saying again, if you want current stuff, you shouldn't be tuning into recorded programs. Try your local television station or something like that, please. All right. There's only one story in the entire universe these days. Not much else to talk about, but it kind of, there kind of is. Anyway, as far as coronavirus pandemic goes globally, I'm going to give you two stats here. On Wednesday morning, there were 382,366 cases globally. 
As of this morning, when I last looked about 20 minutes ago, they were 595,953. Globally, it's nearly doubled. In the United States on Wednesday, 46,145. There's now 104,007. Confirmed cases. That has more than doubled, of course, and obviously that's due to expanded testing. However, deaths are not due to expanded testing. In the United States, as of Wednesday, going back to Wednesday, there were 583. This morning, in the United States, there were 1,693. Since Wednesday, in three days, the death toll has climbed 1,110 Nearly tripled in three days. There were 236 deaths on Wednesday just in the United States. Just on that one day, it jumped to 267 on Thursday, 372 on Friday. And as of 6 o'clock this morning, there were already today, and the sun's not even up yet, 112. Many of my listeners are in Michigan. And we are, as of Wednesday, we had 1,328 infections. That was three days ago. Today, this morning, last statistic, 3,634. We have jumped 2,306 cases in three days. That's a 273% jump. Yes, it is because maybe there's expanded testing. However, 92 deaths as of Saturday morning. My hometown, sweaty redneck growing in Michigan, down way down there by Indiana and Ohio. Rural farmland kind of place. Don't even have an interstate going through that county. Well, they have six cases down there. No deaths as of yet. The Upper Peninsula might be the place to be right now. You're lucky if you live up there. That's gone mostly untouched or, well, perhaps mostly untested. Uh, the majority of the cases here in the state are in and around the Detroit area, looking at Wayne, Macomb, and Oakland County. Overall in Wayne County, 1,810 cases so far. 37 of Michigan's deaths are in uh, Wayne County, which is Detroit. And the suburbs are getting hit pretty hard as well. Oakland County, which is north of Metro Detroit. Suburbs, 824 cases, 26 deaths in Oakland County, Macomb County. 404 cases with 14 deaths. If you look at the map, as I'm looking at it right now, the heat map, you know, where they sort of put the circles on and the circles get bigger, those three right there, right around Detroit, are the vast majority of the cases in Michigan. But they're saying, health experts, people around the uh, media, have been saying all week that Michigan's going to become or could become or probably will become a new hotspot. And if you think about Detroit, if you know anything about Detroit, have you ever been to Detroit? <laughs> the idea of Detroit getting hit with a pandemic is horrifying. Parts of Detroit remind me of Guatemala City. I thought that while I was going through Guatemala City a couple of years back. There are parts of Detroit that are as third world as Tegucigalpa, Honduras. If there's a massive outbreak in Detroit, even I may take to prayer. It's not just Detroit either. That's by far the most densely populated part of the state. But God help the rest of the east side of the mitten, if and when this starts spreading. How's Flint doing these days? And again, maybe it'll just vanish like magic. I hope so. 
I know a little bit about this. I've lived in Detroit. In fact, one of my first photo projects was driving around taking pictures of the apocalypse, the apocalyptic landscape that is Detroit and the corpses, you know, the manufacturing rot uh, that's everywhere. I, I got to say it. I'm going to say it one more time. God help them if coronavirus explodes up there. Not only is their infrastructure atrophy and decay, at least outside of the suburbs, enduring a multi-decade catastrophe. What are you going to do? You going to run over to the city's east side and explain the public health virtues of social distancing to the gangbangers up there? You going to be taking Paul Revere's ride up and down Eight Mile or Gratiot? You're going to be the one yelling, the virus is coming, the virus is coming? Do you think they'd listen? I guess maybe blasting Eminem from a rusted-out cutlass while, I don't know, yelling, 303 in the house. Maybe that's going to help you. I don't know. But how receptive are those folks going to be to the warnings? How willing are they going to be to cooperate when they don't have the healthcare infrastructure that a lot of communities in this country have? To most of Michigan, Detroit sort of feels like a shameful bastard brother or maybe another country altogether until we happen to sort of, you know, cautiously wander in on an entertainment field trip. I dare say Detroit's not like any other place in this country. Not really. There are areas of cities that resemble Detroit, Chicago, for example. But as a whole, as a city, there's no place that I've seen that's really like that. The manufacturing downturn has decimated that city. I mean, everybody's familiar with the story at this point. That means the infrastructure that's in place? Oh, boy. It's a Petri dish. And this virus doesn't need a reason to travel. It doesn't need a passport. It doesn't need permission slips. And I hope folks in this state especially on the rural communities, maybe the Trump supporters who have sort of taken this lightly. I hope and pray. I'm using the word pray a lot this podcast. That's not normal for me, but I hope you understand the gravity and realize how close that is to the rest of you, to the rest of us. How do you suppose your elite health care facility down there in Happydale is going to handle being overwhelmed with a virus? How about cold water? And I got to say this, I'm going to say this as softly as I can in an effort to conceal my growing metastasizing sense of spite, frustration. Something tells me it's going to take dead friends and family members to drive this home for a lot of people. I hope to God, another religious reference, I hope to God I'm wrong. We're going to know for sure in a few weeks. And for those of you folks up in Detroit, I know I've got more than a few listeners up there. Please, for the love of God, don't be fools. Do not be stupid. I am legitimately concerned about that area more than any other in this fucking country. Detroit cannot handle what they're saying is coming. Not even close. Take care of yourselves up there, okay? You're listening to the Escaping the Cave podcast. Over to escapingthecave.com. Fuck Twitter, no Facebook page. It's one of the best songs ever. 
I see myself with two or three pitchers in my hands. Marlboro Reds and Bud Light. From 1992, I was 21 when that song came out, man. Jackal. (laughs) That's going to make sense here in a couple of minutes, I promise you. It does tie in. Just think back to Jackal. Got it in your head, Gen Xers? Yeah? Good. Oh, one more hook. makes you want to go out and get drunk, get in a fight, and get laid. I didn't expect to like this this much. <laughs> I was just looking for a song from 1992. Anyway, I'm Todd. Thanks for uh, joining me today. Clicking in whenever you're listening. So anyway, I was looking at the uh, poll numbers. I was curious about Trump, how he's doing, at least in uh, public perception. What his approval rating is? Is it going up? Is it going down? It's not been, you know, the most stellar display of leadership we've ever seen in this country. That is for sure. So I checked out uh, CNN. They've got their poll of polls. I think it was published yesterday. Trump's approval rating, his overall approval rating right now, as of yesterday, 47%, whereas 48% disapprove. For Donald Trump, that's stellar. His bar is not exactly high, right? However... On the handling of the pandemic, believe it or not, and you should, he's above water as far as the pandemic handling situation goes. 52 to 45, 52% of the population approves, or at least of those polled, approve of the job he's doing with the pandemic, whereas uh, 45% disapprove. I would like you to behold Donald Trump's flaccid and impotent wartime president erection, more commonly referred to as the bump, the wartime bump, the war president bump. Is that pathetic that he's only sitting at 47%? Yeah, it's pathetic. I don't celebrate too quickly, though, especially if you're hoping to uh, have him removed via election this fall. Uh, he didn't and does not need a much of a bump with the country's divisions almost completely encased in granite, as we all know they are. I'm going to give you some comparisons here. George W. Bush in 2001, skyrocketed. He was just over 50% beforehand. He was up to a full-throated 90% approval rating in the weeks after 9-11. And he stayed above 80% for six months and managed to rejuvenate that approval rating with both the Iraq evasion and the capturing and killing of Saddam Hussein. You don't even need notes here. Just a working sense of how history works to see when those events occurred on his eight-year approval graph. You can see 9-11 clear as day. You can see the Iraq War. 
in March 2003, and then you can see when he captured Saddam Hussein at the end of the same year. You can see it physically in the graph. Now, even with these uh, regular and PR and public opinion transfusion, George Jr.'s approval rating just prior to the 2004 election was identical, nearly identical, I should say, to Donald Trump's right now. Trump said 47 approve, 48 disapprove. George W. Bush in 2004, 48% approved, 47 disapproved. Virtually identical. All Trump has to do at this point is display grade school competence. All he has to do is listen to people who know more than him. Just get out of the fucking way. If he suddenly does, Jesus Christ could descend from Sky Daddy's lap And even he might not be able to beat Donald Trump in November. This is part of the reason you're seeing these anti-Trump super PAC ads and why CNN is starting to pivot away from the actual 9-11 style news news coverage. And they're starting to uh, swing back, back toward their now familiar boutique advocacy stance. Rather than focusing on news, taking an ideological stance. I'll get to more of that in a little bit. Now I say Jesus might, might not be enough to beat Trump because that wartime bump treated the first Bush, Daddy Bush, treated him really well too back in 1991. The smart Bush's approval rating hit 89% in March of that year at the end of the first Gulf War. Remember that? Remember how popular he was? (laughs) I do. Uh, Daddy Bush's problem though is that he had a full year, a full year year and a half, uh, to blow it and break his read-my-lips-no-new-taxes pledge, if I remember correctly. George the tax betrayer managed to squander his astronomical post-war approval rating and then lost to Bill Clinton a year and a half later. Now, also, for reference, Daddy Bush was the last one-term president we've had. He lost his re-election bid 28 years ago in 1992 when jackal was a thing, and the internet was not. That's how long it's been since we have not had a two-term president. Donald Trump has a lot of built-in advantages here. Another big news story this week, Boris Johnson. He's tested positive, mildly symptomatic. Uh, He's still running the country. He's uh, doing it via technology as he's quarantined. And his approval ratings have also skyrocketed over in the U.K. When he became prime minister last July, one-third, 33%, held a favorable view of Boris Johnson in his first week in office. 54% had a negative opinion. They have this thing called a net score. He was 21 points underwater last July. And then even after delivering the conservative majority and brutalizing Jeremy Corbyn, Last December, his rating remained in negative territory at minus 11. Now, when the focus shifted over to the coronavirus in the first half of March, Big Bad Boris's numbers modestly improved, but were still negative at minus 3. 43% viewing him positively earlier this month, 46 unfavorably. However, latest figures show there has been a shift in public approval, a significant shift. More than half, 55% now have a favorable opinion of Prime Minister Boris Johnson in the UK. Just over a third have an unfavorable opinion of the man. 
This leaves him now with a net score of plus 20. When he took office, he was at minus 21. That was last July. He's now plus 20. If you're good at math, you can see that's a 41% swing in that net score. After a slow start, he's been acting aggressively lately, put the entire country on lockdown. Something like 85 to 90% of the UK population is behind him in that decision. So Trump's up. Boris is up. I did have a nice little chat with Friar Chris this week, and he was kind enough to share that his intuition has told him that the pandemic's going to lead the world toward uh, climate consciousness. Had a nice little chat about how people staying at home, the social distancing, shutting everything down, is allowing air pollution to sort of dissipate. Lakes, rivers sort of cleaning themselves a little bit. Not the first time I've heard that. But he thought, yeah, that this may be something that'll take us toward climate consciousness. A way to address the climate crisis. And that, in turn, uh, made me think of some other people that I've talked to recent weeks and months who think that Trump is the key to their glorious utopian awakening. A socialist heaven on earth. Yes, Donald Trump's evil buffoonery serving to usher in the cliché and mythological brotherhood of man. Now, Chris scoffed at that notion just as hard as I did. But I had to uh, sort of press him on the great climate awakening thing and asked him to show his work, right, as I'm wont to do. And to his infinite credit and my gratitude, he admitted he was basing it on nothing other than his quote-unquote feelings, <laughs> that famous friarly intuition of his. That's how Chris and I have stayed friends for 15 years when people I've known 40 years fall into the pit of the great purge <laughs> after an hour, a week, a month, or a year, man. Instinctual honesty, introspection, and the man has an ability to separate facts from feelings. Recognize that post hoc fuckery that I like to talk about. Even if he's not sure what it is, he can do it. Anyway, this friendly little exchange reminded me of a few things that I've read in my isolation the last few weeks. And it also served to temporarily lure me away from H.L. Mencken, back toward uh, Harari's Sapiens book. Get me back to the fundamental evolutionary tribal instinct of the herd. You know, how we close ranks and attack threats or anything that might be a threat. Now, you stubborn and lingering utopian masochists, I wonder if there are any left. Raise your hand. Come on, let's see it. I don't see it any. If there are any of you left, you should be happy. You should be thrilled and thankful. Donald Trump is as inept as he is. If he had even a molecule of competence, even an ounce of unifying leadership dripping through his narcissistic veins, like whether it pleases you to admit it or not... George W. Bush did, your November dreams would be dead in the water already. Those pornographic Brotherhood of Man fantasies have been banished back to the ideological red light district where they belong. I've grown tired, sick and tired of hearing the pandemic war rhetoric. It's all over. It's a war. we got to treat it like a war. <sighs> Whether I like it or not, it applies. The psychology... Pretty much the same. When the flock is threatened, it rallies around its leaders. It needs, it demands to be led. It protects itself and its kind. doesn't hold a shred of interest in the herd across the field whatsoever. And in fact, it might attack if any of that other herd's interlopers stray too closely. This is why I maintain, and I, I say this with 99.5% certainty, 
And while they're bitching about his Easter economic resurrection plan, as ridiculous as it is, on some level, our utopians are rooting for Trump to fail. I think a lot of people want him to reopen the country on Easter for political reasons. I know that's cynical. I know. I know. I think it's also the truth. Whether or not they admit it to you or to themselves, I think, yeah, a lot of these people are rooting for him to fail in this crisis, regardless of what happens. Look, they have to. They have got to root for him to fail, because if he succeeds, if he suddenly becomes the leader everyone expects him to be, expects their president to be, the utopian's God of social justice, purity, is going to be crucified in kind. It's going to happen all over the world. That's why I mentioned Boris Johnson and his poll numbers. Nationalism, isolationism. In a time of crisis, resurrects itself. And yes, this isn't ideologically, politically, or theologically exclusive to anything or the other. We all will instinctively follow one alpha or the other. Whomever manages to paint the most agreeable reality. Whomever tells us the right story recites the most appealing scripture, the one that protects us, better yet, puts us in a speculative future position of noble and righteous victory, even putting us in a position to enact revenge on whomever the principal enemy is who happens to be cast in that specific stage production. Narratives, pseudo-environments, bedtime stories, pick one. It doesn't matter what you call it. They're all collectively accepted, cohesive fictions. National myths, designed to comfort, motivate, and bind us together. And they're as old as human society, man. They are instinctual. And they're falling the fuck apart. As we speak, they're being destroyed by instantaneous and unaccountable global hyperconnectivity. Data overload. That's part of it. Already made a lot of religious references in this episode. Might as well make another one. The new Christ is the smartphone. I'm here to minister to you. That smartphone's false god. In fact, it's becoming a glowing societal antichrist. Propaganda, counter-propaganda, agitation, counter-agitation, conspiracy theory, tribal hatreds inseminated into the collective mind through fissures cracked open by the overwhelmed confusion of an already vulnerable species that's drowning in disconnected and conflicting data. Don't know what to think. We just pick one. Now, we're drowning all right, but the, the, the water's been slowly rising for more than 100 years, and soon enough, I'm afraid we're going to be floating face down in the technological waste. Absolutely overcome with it. You regular listeners, I'm sure you've been waiting for this. Here it is. The man who knows nothing is closer to the truth than he who believes in falsehoods. Or just doesn't know what the fuck to believe. Or wouldn't know the truth if it crawled up his ass. Or accepted, even if he saw it twerking on the table in front of him. Maybe he doesn't accept it because it would cause him to publicly change course and admit, Oh my God, he was fooled. Oh my gosh, he was wrong about something. People who can't distinguish between truth and falsehood does not remain free. Doesn't matter why. Doesn't matter a damn bit. Who's to blame doesn't matter in the end any more than it matters why you got cancer. Regardless of the why, it's the inevitable result 
the inevitable result. That matters. Does it really matter when you have lung cancer that you got it because you smoked? Is it going to change the outcome at all? Doesn't matter why. Only for blame purposes. You're still heading to the same place regardless of why. I'm doing a lot of writing last couple of weeks, and I was scribbling in my notebook, uh, and I realized that I've been social distancing myself increasingly more all the time for the last several years. Various reasons, but I have been doing it. And this COVID-19 thing, I've begun to see as sort of an abstract metaphor for my not only my personal life, but especially for social media. Self-isolating from the intellectual virus. Distancing the identity from the narrative and uh, the scriptural infections. I confess it, man, sometimes I get sick. Sometimes I still cough up an agitated hairball. But I feel like sort of the, you know, the mental cognitive intellectual antibodies are slowly getting stronger, a bit more potent, a little bit at a time. And again, I'm going to keep pounding this home, detachment from the outcome, detachment from the identity is essential. It's the only way to protect the mind from itself, protect the mind from the evolutionary need to belong, to join, and the need to hate a chosen enemy. I'm always looking for silver linings these days. I'm not finding too many. Uh, But this social distancing experience that we're all going through right now, we're all sharing this, is a wonderful metaphor for so many things. The social isolation that most of us are experiencing now, it's uncomfortable. We're social critters. We're not congregating. We feel like we're unwhole, not quite full. Many of the psychological symptoms of social isolation sound almost identical to how it feels to intellectually isolate yourself, to intellectually stand apart, alone, naked, unsure what to do with yourself, and your urge to be a part of something, to join again. So enduring this uncomfortable, and you know maybe it's even a torturous social distancing confinement for some people, it might, I say might, might be an excellent preparatory exercise that can be used to learn intellectual distancing, and self-reliance. Depending upon yourself to think for yourself. Getting used to feeling alone. Getting used to feeling like you stand apart. And being comfortable with that. If not comfortable, at least accepting it and understanding why you're uncomfortable. Again, I don't know for sure. I'm kind of going off into the philosophical realm here. That's fine. I'll own it. But I can tell you that these things feel an awful lot alike. Maybe it's a great time to turn off the news or at least vary the ideological brand you watch. Or maybe only listen to local news. Local news produced by people in or at least near, you know, the community in which you actually live. Counterintuitive here, but maybe it's a great time to delete the social media apps from your phone. Embrace streaming channels. Netflix. You need social contact? Instead of social media, why not call somebody? Don't text them. Call them. Talk to them. Use your voice. Maybe somebody you haven't talked to in a long time. They're home. (laughs) Probably. It's a good way to start to maybe learn to stand apart in these little baby steps. Becoming organic again. Less of a cyborg. I mean, this is being forced upon you now. You don't have a choice. But looking at it another way, you might never have a better chance to do it. And this might be the right time, a good time, good opportunity 
choose to look at it as such uh, to get all that done or at least start it. So if you want to put a positive spin on this, try to make lemonade out of lemons, (laughs) choose your cliche here. This might be a really good time to do all that. I just said it might be a really good time to start this sort of intellectual distancing, learning to stand apart kind of thing, a little exercise, maybe turning off the media, getting a, getting away from social media, becoming a little bit more organic. It might be a really, really good time. You know, I haven't felt much of a need the last few weeks to do much of the, I don't know, the varying of the informational consumption that I was talking about. Maybe toward the end of last year, talking about watching Fox News, talking about watching CNN, kind of going back and forth to get both sides of the story. I haven't felt the need to do much of that for the last couple of weeks until this week. Yesterday, I saw a a CNN, a brand new CNN self-promo, a little commercial for themselves there on their station. And it said, in a time of division, facts unite. And I about stabbed myself with a pen as I fell out of the recliner laughing. In a time of division, facts unite. Are you living in a cave with a wombat? Where the hell are you getting that from? Apparently, you're not paying attention to the country in which you live and broadcast your news. And this, I mean, it was so rich because this aired right after one of the anti-Trump super PAC ads. And then there was also in the stop set, the commercial break, uh, a commercial that I've been seeing repeatedly over and over and over again. What did this man spend? What did the Billy Graham Foundation or whatever it's called pay for these commercials? I think it was Billy Graham's kid. He goes on and he starts proselytizing, literally praying and telling us how Jesus is going to ease your anxiety, your coronavirus anxiety. What you need to do is pray. This is being aired repeatedly in heavy rotation on CNN. And in that same stop set, in a time of division, facts unite with an anti-Trump super PAC ad. Really? And so, yeah, it dawned on me that we have entered the new, and, you know, it was always inevitable, the new corona media phase. Again, CNN had actually been decent. They've been doing a pretty decent job. News, information. But they're starting to pivot. They're starting to turn now. Because apparently there was a meeting or a memo. Something happened at CNN this week. And now we're going to start to see the slightly altered democracy dies in darkness bullshit, the branding and the advocacy campaigns. <sighs> it's been a staple of the media for so long. In fact, they had a piece on today, right around the same time, uh, where they were trying to um, apply the pandemic crisis, you know, the wartime, public sacrifice psychology, They were trying to start to pivot that toward the climate crisis. We're saying that the stuff that we're doing right now to fight the pandemic, we can use to fight the global climate crisis. Shoving people in their own social distancing. The new normal. Please don't say that anymore. It's the new normal. Stop that. Please. Anyway, the new normal social conditioning stuff. Heating up the frogs in their quarantine pots. 
really smart to keep an eye on that. Because unless you're actually enjoying this, these would-be climatological tyrants. They're certainly having moist, if not downright drenched, wet, manipulative dreams when they think about this. When they see what we're doing now, we can do this for the climate. Of course they are. It's what they do. Anyway, intellectual distancing. Yeah, social distancing? How about social media distancing? It's a good metaphor, man. I have been social distancing for years. 2013, 2014, I think I started this. Hardly anyone that I was in touch with electronically. (laughs) Sometimes physically. A fraction of them are left. I have whittled the tribe down to a manageable number. I think I'm better for it. I really do. Make sure you check those feeds. Make sure you subscribe to Escaping the Cave. Nothing else. Check out the website, escapingcave.com. You can tell Twitter to go fuck itself with me. One, two, three. Fuck Twitter. I don't have a Facebook page. I don't think I ever will have another Facebook page. Sorry if you're disappointed. Tonzillax, gmail.com. If you want to shoot me an email, comment, question, whatever. Love to hear from you. As always, thanks for clicking in. We'll talk to you next time. So long.